Thank you for choosing to listen to another exciting teaching from Revive Church. Please join us at either of our two Sunday morning locations, 9 a.m. at Revive Bitterroot, 3909 Highway 93 in Stevensville, or 10 a.m. at 2811 Latimer in Missoula. We also have a 6 p.m. evening service at 130 East Broadway in downtown Missoula. And from 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It also goes on to say it's not irritable, it's not proud or boastful. So if you'll promise not to be irritable, I promise not to be boastful or proud. (laughs) But Liz and I took the family to Costa Rica very recently. And it happened to be the week, I think something like four feet of snow or I heard something about snow and my, you know. But the, the interesting thing about this image There's not a drop of snow there. (laughs) Like I said, don't be irritable. (laughs) You know, I prayed a lot into preaching today. I wanted a lesson that would, that God could use me to bring something to you. But it, it was something surprising to me that it just didn't meld for you. I'm sorry, but it melded for me. This lesson has had a profound impact on me. And as I was preparing it, I was also thinking about Emmy. I said, Emma, where is she? Emma, I was thinking about you on this for some reason. I didn't know this was going to be your last Sunday. But I think this lesson's for the the two of us. I think there's going to be things that are said today that have lifelong impact in your life and that you will remember in time of need. Hallelujah. Guys, it's crazy to me how God called me and saved me in the midst of my troubled teens. Troubled teens being an understatement. Man, I was always in trouble. Trouble with my parents. Trouble with my friends sometimes. Trouble with the cops, you know? I was just in trouble all the time. And then I met Liz in ninth grade. We had our first date when she turned 16 and 10th. So I got to get her in trouble too. (laughs) But all the while, God was behind the scenes. He was preparing something big for my life. Had no clue. All I knew is I was really in a crazy state as I got ready to move to Alaska when I was 18. Liz's family had moved up there. I knew I was going. And it drove me to my knees in my room. Here I was, a good Catholic boy, uh, a Catholic boy, And in my room, there was a cross on the wall, and I had the children's illustrated Bible. What else do you need besides a pair of knees? Because I hit the ground praying. I, I, I was praying prayers. These were not the prayers of the church. These were prayers of deep need and relationship with the Almighty God. I had no clue what was going on. But then when I moved to Alaska, interestingly enough, Liz had been there, and she starts going to church. She had never gone to church regularly before. So I'm like, yeah, I'm used to that. I usually go either to the church where I grew up, the the Catholic church, or I would go to the church of Liz. (laughs) Okay, I worshiped her. What can I say? Now that we're about ready to celebrate 40 years this year. Hallelujah. So we start going to church. We start meeting people. I started working as an unloading crew member for Seward Fisheries out in the Homer Spit. And it was a roughneck kind of job. We worked with some rough people out there, man. 
And one of the guys that I worked with, his name was Rich Mambolito. There was something different about that guy. He was living it, folks. He was living it. I could see it. And things were beginning to take shape when all of a sudden one night, I'm hitchhiking home. It's 19 miles home. It's probably midnight because we would spend all morning preparing for three shrimp boats to come in. When they would come in at dark, we'd be unloading 40,000 pounds of shrimp off each boat. Well, that night, that guy gave me a ride, and as we're going along, he said, I live in Homer, but I'm going to take you all the way home into Anchor Point, 19 miles. We're going along. He says, you you know what the gospel is? I'm like, I think I've heard of it. He goes, you want to know? I said, yeah. He preached the gospel to me. He helped me understand what Jesus did for me, that Jesus substituted himself, that I would have life in him if I would put my faith in him and call him my Lord, that he would deal with my troubled past, and in that case, troubled present. And he did exactly that, Jesus did. This guy, when we pulled up to the house, he basically, I opened the door, he said, see you later, boom, door closes. I'm like, is that an angel? Because he didn't tell me to come to church, come to his church, he was all about me knowing the gospel. Hallelujah, gospel, saved. I looked up in that big Alaskan sky and I knew right then and there God had called me out of something uh, tragic. I was living a tragic, death-minded life. I had a death mindset. And in fact, as it went on, I would work on those docks and as those boats would come in, I would lean over the edge and look down at all that shrimp in the back of those boats and I would literally imagine myself falling onto that boat. But that's how I envisioned my Christian life. You know, hey, I knew me. I knew me well enough that there was, it wasn't going to be long before I wasn't walking the walk, that I would trip, that I would fall. Eventually, someday, I would fall. And you know, it's, it's not the fall that hurts, it's the landing. But then it happened. I was struggling in life. I was struggling with my uh, in-laws, if you will. My, my wife's, well, she was my girlfriend at the time. Sorry about that. You know, I was struggling with that relationship. I was struggling with Liz. I was struggling with living in Alaska where there's basically nothing, no friends, no drugs, no rock and roll. I knew it was going to catch up to me, and it did. January 28th, 1980, I was down there unloading 40,000 pounds of shrimp with the roughnecks, and I got so thirsty, man, I couldn't wait to be done. It was about one in the morning, man. I just needed to get up, up to the top of that dock, which I did. I got to the very top. And my foot slipped, and I did a perfect back dive, head first, onto the boat. God, what is the deal? I give, I just became a Christian. Why didn't you just take me home? Because I'll guarantee you, it's a one in a million shot. If you want to back dive from 35 feet onto a boat, you got one shot in a million. And he gave me that shot. And I would ask, why? Well, I'll tell you why, because... My mom came from California to visit me, almost died in an airplane crash trying to get there. She showed me the love of God. And then one by one, people from the church started coming to see me in the hospital. I saw the love of the church, and it changed my life. Hallelujah. You know, there's a similar story. I feel honored that there's actually a story in the Bible kind of like that, Acts 20. Yeah, this guy's sitting in a third-floor window, Eutychus. Sorry, sorry, I named you that, son. Eutychus is sitting in the windowsill. Paul's preaching. Next thing you know, this guy falls. I don't know if he was bored or what, but he falls asleep, falls about 30 feet if you think three stories, right? And he, when he lands, this guy, he thought he was dead. 
You know why? Because he was dead. <laughs> and it wasn't until Paul went down there and put his arms and embraced him that this kid was raised to life, from death to life. We might slip as Christians. We might even fall. But I'll tell you what, we are alive. We are not dead. Hallelujah. Some things in life are black and white, like piano keys. <laughs> A little soon, Bob. <sighs> piano keys, zebras, checkered flags, and skunks. Test, test. Yeah, baby. Woo! So when Liz and I built our new house in Libby back in 1993, we had built on a 10-acre parcel that must have had a pack rat city right there because we started battling pack rats. And I had one that was as long as my leg after I shot it twice in the heart. You're not even believing that. But he was as long as my leg. I'll tell you, we battled pack rats, man. We finally won. But when we moved to Missoula in 2000, we had a similar problem, but this time with skunks. Man, we'd shoot skunks. We'd trap skunks. And eventually, uh, Bob, with the help of Bob, we started the skunk relocation program. <laughs> but before that, I, had, I told Yanni, I said, get the live trap, man. There's a skunk, I'm telling you. She sets the live trap out in front, right in front of the front door. She catches the biggest skunk I've ever seen in my life. Now, I got up the next morning. It's CrossFit morning. I'm up, up at 4. I've got to make a 5 o'clock workout. I hear scuffling on the front porch. I open the door, and here's the, the biggest skunk I've ever seen. Quickly, run. Get 22. Come back. Now, I know a trapper friend. He said, if you want to avoid the secondary uh, side effects of smell, avoid a headshot. Okay, boom. Close the door. He's not moving. Set the gun down. Open the door. I go to grab the live trap, and he starts scurrying. Man, I go, whoa. Come back. Boom door locks, four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we battled with that skunk. I had to come home from work. He wasn't dead. I had to go back and work. And I said, I need a shirt. Thanks. Ultimately, I get that thing at night. It's just before nightfall. And, and Yanni and I go out to the skunk hotel where all the little holes are out in the back of the property there. I finally get that giant skunk in the hole, man. That thing goes. I said, wow. I hope Yanni didn't see that. She's probably about nine at that point. She says, Dad, did you see that? 
Boom, headshot, done. <laughs> You've heard of the undead, um, the undead monkey from uh, Pirates, right? This was the undead skunk. Life and death. It's black and white, right? Well, why then as Christians who've been made alive with Christ, do we somehow fall back into the idea that we're not alive, that we're, we're somehow rather dead or mostly dead, or, as in the case of our gigantic skunk, undead? Well, Moses had that issue with the Israelites. You know, he, he knew that they were having problems, and he wanted to call them to life. In, in Deuteronomy, that whole chapter of Deuteronomy summed up in verse 19, he was trying to help them to see that if they would choose life, they would avoid the nasty stuff that comes with captivity. They didn't heed it. They ended up in captivity. They ended up being imprisoned for 70 years in Babylon. But here's where he said, and he, he knew it was a choice. He knew it was black and white too. He said, today I have given you the choice between life and death, blessings and cursing, now I call on heaven and earth to, to witness the choice that you make. Therefore, choose life so that you and your children may live. It's black and white. we got to choose something, gang. Whether you choose it or not, you're choosing something. Let's heed what Moses is saying. Let's, let's heed it. Let's choose life. Like I didn't do with that 1971 Chevy Impala that I got. It was about six years old. I was 17. It was in beautiful shape. Thank you, Mom and Dad wax that thing then I knew and that's right when I learned I could do the longest burnouts of anybody over 400 feet long well there went all my tread on my tires right and then this kid gets in my car where I was working at the gas station he backs up he didn't know he was in reverse so he gets out and the door catches this giant pillar and just yanks the door wide open I had to wire it shut next weekend I ran into that same post left rear corner of my car smashed it up then my sweet girlfriend and I were sitting out in her front yard with a BB gun. I was like, man, this thing's cool. You can see the BB go, man. Let me try this. Let's see. Wind trajectory. Boom. Sure enough, sure enough. Bam! Black window. Shattered. Now I've got a getaway car. <laughs> Woo! That didn't work out, let me tell you. That didn't end well. All right? <laughs> but that's the way I was as a team. Bad choices. You know what I'm saying? I had a death mindset. Um, yeah, bad choices, teen years, put them together, wow. So that the operative word was truly death. It was this mindset that I had that I fell for all these bad choices. Stupid decisions, reckless driving, reckless living, reckless results. But you know, there were some, there were some good ones in there. I fell for Liz. I fell in love with Liz. I moved to Alaska, and I fell in love with Alaska, and I fell in love with Jesus. So listen, we might slip, we might fall, but as Christians, we are alive, all right? I'm going to drill that point home right here. Three points. We got to choose life, gang. Choose life that you and your children may live. So the first one is set your mind. Set your mind. You know that mind left to itself? Man, sometimes you got to reel that puppy in. And society adds to the mix by saying, hey, you want something new? You got to get something bigger, better, brighter you got to upgrade to finer, fancier, man. You need something bigger and better. You're overweight. You're underweight. You're ho-hum. You aren't keeping up with the Joneses. Sometimes you got to reel that mind in. How's your mind? What's it saying of you? And are you believing it? Do you believe what it's telling you? Now, remember, I'm preaching this to me. 
And I know that mind of mine where it can go, and it needs to be reeled in with the Word of God. That means to set our mind. Well, how do you do that? Well, first, you've got to calibrate to the truth. Now, I want you to think about a floor scale and a watch, all right? You've got to calibrate that thing before you get on that scale, right? So you've got to fiddle with it to make it accurate. Or you can set it for 10 pounds lighter and everybody's happy. <laughs> or in the case of the clock, like me, when that alarm clock goes off and it says 510, I don't mind 510. I hate 450. <laughs> Here's the truth of a biblical mindset. It's black and white. Romans 8.6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Set your mind. What are you living for? The flesh? The spirit? What's your mindset? Do you think and act like a dead person? Or do you recall that you've been made alive with Christ? Are you believing what you're saying about yourself? Are you believing what God is saying about you? So here's three practical points. Um, I'll tell you those in a minute, actually. Let's first go to Ephesians 2. Listen, it's black and white, right? Listen to this. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. And it's black and white. But in verse 4, he says, but God. Two words, but God. You were dead, but God. Being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. And he has raised us up and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places. You were dead, but God. He made you alive together with Christ. So let's look at those three practical points I was telling you about. You got to believe something. Because that's black and white, too. You can't be wishy-washy on this. Do you believe what God says of you? Do you believe what he sees of you? Do you believe what he thinks of you? Do you? Do you, do you? So what does God say of you? I should get that collage, or uh, whatever they call that thing, the collage up there, Bob. I picked out some verses that had a singular word that would express what I'm hoping to say today of what God says of you. Look at that list. Accepted, called, conquered, complete, healed. Do you believe that? Because that's what he believes of you. If you are a Christian and you've given your life to God, that's the way God sees you. You know that word adopted? I think we over, we over uh, analyze that word a little bit. From first, or Ephesians 1, 5, when he says that he had adopted us, God adopts us into his family, we make a big deal out of that. Well, let me tell you, when I adopted Yanni, we were in China. It was the last step of the adoption. I'm holding for the first time Yanni because she really got hooked on mom. I have her with me, and the last step of the adoption is for her. They, they take her foot, they put it into a red ink stamp, and then they go over to that page, and they plant her foot on there to complete the adoption. That's a big deal. Yanni could have cared less. She was sitting there sucking on her little onesie. You know, it just wasn't a big deal to her. But man, it's a powerful thing that God would adopt us into his family. What does God see in you? 
He sees you. We've hit this so hard today, the idea of atonement, the great substitution that Jesus would go in our place, love that song, to take our place so that we are made righteous, that, that God, when he looked at me, he doesn't see the troubled teen. He sees what he sees when he sees his son. Purity, righteousness, holiness. He sees his kid. Now, what does God think of you? This is for you guys now. He says, he thinks you're new. I wondered about it because I just turned 58 two weeks ago and I feel a little rust coming on, you know, but he does see you as new. The old has passed away. The new has come. And he thinks you're valuable. You're the pinnacle of creation for him. Your hairs are numbered. You are valuable in his sight. Do you believe that? He thinks you're transformed. You're made new, delivered from darkness to light. It's black and white. He's taken you from death to life. Hallelujah. Let's set our minds. Let's calibrate our minds and adjust them to the truth. Set your mind. One other verse on that, it says in Colossians 3, I think it's verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your mind on things. There's that set your mind again. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. How do you do that? He's above, you guys. There's so many verses in the Bible like Zephaniah that talks about God singing over us, that he smiles over us in numbers. He's enthroned above. We're told by Paul to seek things that are above. You got to look up. You got to get your eyeballs up, man. I wanted to tell you this quick story that God not only tells us to do that, to seek things that are above, to look at those things and think about those things and continually fix our minds on those things. Um, Philippians 4.8. Set your minds. I'm going to forget exactly how it goes. Continually set your mind on all the things that are authentic and real. Continually fix your minds. How often do we do that? When we feel like it, when no one's looking or they are looking? He says continually fix your mind on things, on all things that are authentic and real. All things that are beautiful and respectful I'm forgetting that verse. There it is. Thanks, Bob. What's the next one say? Beautiful and respectful, honorable and admirable, pure and holy, merciful and kind. We need to set our minds and continually fix our minds on these things. Paul said, or somebody said in Hebrews 12:2, fix your eyes on Jesus. So we're fixing our eyes. Where are we looking? We're seeking above. We're setting our minds on things that are above. We're looking up because God's up there. He's smiling down on us. He's, he's singing over us. And there we are. We're, we're looking up. I want to tell you right now, he not only told us to do that, he gave us a reflex to help us do it. So right now, real quick, don't even guess it. Just do it. Look up as high as you can in your, in your eyes. Come on, look up. What happened? I see it. Your head went back. It's a reflex. You know that? God built a reflex into us to look up, man, and see him. It's the same reflex that I use as physical therapist when I'm teaching people how to get off the ground. I teach them, and I've mentioned this before, I teach them the Turkish get-up. 
And I talked to a guy in Turkey, physical therapist over there, he says, yeah, we teach them the American get up. Yeah, right. <laughs> and seriously, if you can't get off the ground, your chances of living longer are slim. People that can get off the ground, we've studied it out and know that they have increased longevity. So get off the ground. All right, so here I am. I'm on the ground. All right, I just had a fall. How do I get up? Well, we train them with a weight in their hand. Maybe at first it's zero pounds, eventually 20 pounds or whatever. And we immediately, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this with this mic, but anyway, I come up on an elbow. You can see how many different moves this is. I sweep my leg. I come up on my side. I come into a half kneel. Now, if I take my eyes off this weight, you know what's going to happen to it? It's going to fall. I have to keep my eyes up to get that weight to the ceiling. That's a Turkish getup. And that's everything to do with the eye reflex. God's calling us to look up, to set your mind on things above. Try it out this week, gang. It's been working for me. The next one is surrender. Very quickly now. Cool point about surrender. It's the paradox of the Christian economy. The idea that something dead can be raised. Something that surrenders is raised to life. And Paul gives a super good example of this in Romans chapter 6 when he's giving us a picture of water baptism. What, a, what an amazing description of surrender that somebody could grab my body like they did years ago and shove me underwater against my will almost. Like, whoa, he just shoved me underwater and then he pulls me up. And the Bible says to newness of life. So Paul starts that chapter. He says, should we just keep on sinning so we get more grace? And in verse 3, he says, what? Are you kidding? Don't you, don't you know? Don't you remember? Didn't you set your mind on the truth? That those of us who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Did you set your mind? Let's take him at his word. Complete surrender. I want you to think of three words that describe the gospel. This is not a test, but what would they be? God loves me. Well, that's, that's a good start. God saving me. That's a great one. Here's another one from 1 Corinthians 15. In verse uh, 1, Paul says, I remind you, Corinthians, of the gospel that I preach to you. Really? He's reminding him? What is that, Paul? Well, in verses 4 and 5, he goes on to say, sorry, verses 3 and 4, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, that's pretty important stuff, of what, also, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again according, on the third day according to the Scriptures. Do you notice it? Death burial, resurrection. That's what Paul was saying. I remind you of the gospel. It's the death, burial, and resurrection. And lo and behold, over in Romans 6, that picture of surrender in the baptism of being, we're dying to self, we're being buried in that water, we're raised up. And I love the, the, the Passion Translation that says that we are co-buried with Christ and we are co-raised with Christ, if you were to carry that analogy out. We're doing it together. No more negative thoughts. I just don't have it together. Well, guess what? Christ does. 
He does have it together, and he's made us alive together. We are co-raised to life with Christ. So surrender brings new life, right? This idea of, of, of surrender, it's a paradox. Like, really, i got to surrender myself, and then I'm something? Like, God's going to make something of me? Yes, that is the paradox of the Christian economy. Now, does that mean i got to be baptized every time I sin? No, but I sure am glad I have a hot tub. No, it's not that idea. We surrender. We're surrendering day in and day out. So we got to set our mind, surrender, and you think it's going to be an S, don't you? It is. We need to slip out of our grave clothes. Let's go to John chapter 11. Now, I'm, I'm just going to summarize. This is the passages about Lazarus becoming sick, dying, Jesus coming and raising him, John 11. We need to slip out of our grave clothes. So a little history there. Jesus was just in Judea. He was in Jerusalem um, talking about the proof of his miracles to the point that these guys wanted to kill Jesus. He said, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And they tried to grab him. And the Bible says that he miraculously, this is the end of chapter uh, 10, he miraculously escaped their clutches. Love that tra uh, passion translation. So he goes over to East Jordan where John the Baptist had been baptizing, and that's where Jesus is when his best buddies, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, send message to Jesus. They're over in Bethany, about 23 miles south of where Jesus is on the Jordan. You go about three miles to Jerusalem, and then you travel down to Bethany. And these guys, they're best friends, man. They send him a note and they say, or whatever they do back then, papyrus. They send it and they say, they're saying, hey, Lazarus is at the point of death. Jesus loved those guys. The Bible says he loved them. But you know what? He hung out for three more days up there. And at that point, Lazarus had already been put in the grave. So you got to figure, man, Jesus is waiting. He finally says, all right, guys, we're going to go to Jerusalem or through Jerusalem back to Bethany. We're going to go see Lazarus. Well, he's already dead. He's been in the grave three days. But you got to remember, Jesus didn't have a death mindset. He knew that it would not end in death. And so he's kind of taking his time and finally says, hey, let's go. He knew it wouldn't end in death, and he even knew, according to the latter part of that, that chapter, that when the Sanhedrin came together, that's the 70 with the high priest and all the, the clerics and all the higher-ups in the, in the Jewish faith there, they had to get together because there was stuff going on. And they said, basically, we got to put a stop to this, man. If everybody finds out that Jesus raised this guy, which by that point he had, everyone's going to believe. You think that made Jesus have a death mindset? Heck no, man. He was skipping that 23 miles. He skipped his way to Bethany, right? And he gets there, and he sees people that have a death mindset. The Bible says that, you know, basically he went from being giddy to the fact that he was showing compassion. He had incredible compassion for them at the gravesite. And the Bible says, I know it says Jesus wept, but in the Passion Translation it says, tears were streaming down Jesus' face. He had compassion. Maybe it was the idea that he saw that they had a death mindset. Maybe he was seeing that this raising Lazarus was going to mean his death. Whatever the cause was, he had compassion. And he basically came up and he gave three commands. And we'll wrap this up. He said, roll away the stone. Yeah, right. You know that stone weighs about two tons? 
You think we're just going to move that stone? Well, Jesus didn't move that stone. And Lazarus on the inside, man, he's bound tightly. <laughs> he's not opening that thing. So who opened the stone? The people standing by. Now, that stone is rolled down a bit of a trolley in front of the tomb. It looks like it's going to be there forever. These friends of, the, of theirs, that church, if you will, helped move that stone away. When Jesus said, move the stone, roll it away, they rolled that stone away. And that's why we have the church. Man, I got, I got negative thinking, guys. I'll be the first to admit it. I've told Kay that a time or two. She's helped roll that stone away, man. We need to roll the stone away on behalf of our brothers and sisters because we get that way sometimes. We have that death mindset. We have a negative thought pattern. Move the stone. Thank you, church. Number two, come out of the tomb. Of course, he was telling Lazarus that. I'm telling us to come out of the tomb. Only dead things need to be in a tomb. At that point, Lazarus is not dead. Get out. Get out of the tomb. We need to get our dead thinking out of the tomb. You know what I'm saying? Come out. Let's, let's change our thinking. Let's recalibrate. Let's adjust our thinking to the truth. Don't be lying about your floor scale. Unwrap him and let him loose. Come out of the tomb. Roll the stone away. Unwrap him, let him loose. He was not loosely wrapped, this Lazarus. He was tightly wrapped, verse 44 says. Sometimes our thinking gets so tightly wrapped around us, we can't get out. We need help. And by the way, Martha was worried. She's like, dude, you open that thing. He comes out, he's going to stink. I love the King James Version. Behold, Lord, he stinketh. Isn't that what sisters say to their brothers? Man, he stinks. Don't do it. Well, let's begin to unravel the stinking death clothes, those wraps, those coils around the way that we think. Let's calibrate to the truth. Let's have a truth mindset and invite brothers and sisters to help us in that process. Roll away the stone. Come out of the tomb. Unwrap the grave clothes. Quick story, and we'll get ready to wrap it up. Talk about raise a hallelujah. You haven't seen that on YouTube? Go home right now. You watch that. It'll move your heart. It'll move your heart. It moved my heart. I can't even worship anymore. I just fall into a heap. Raise a hallelujah. We sang it today. And I sang it, and I think about my dad. For years, I tried to help him to become a Christian. Dad, this stuff's amazing. God loves you. He had a past. He's like, no. Man, after years and years of this, I finally I had a class in uh, San Diego. It was a golf performance class with Titleist Performance Institute. And I thought, man, I'm close enough. I'm going to get in a car. I'm going to rent a car and go see my dad in Thousand Oaks about three hours away. I'm going to help this man become a Christian. Man, I made that trek. Dad, come on. I'm pleading with you. Jesus loves you, man. He wants to take your sin away. He wants you to be in heaven. Dad, dad it's, it's the last days, man, and these are your last days. You need to make a decision for Jesus, man. Well, a year later, I'm in California. He'd been moved down closer to my brother in Corona. So when I went down, he was there that evening. Families together, it's time to take Dad home. My brother and I take Dad, and we're going home. And I said, Dad, man, this is, this is the time to become a Christian, man. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm going to hell in a handbasket, and I like it that way. 
And I thought, all those prayers, all those times I, I raised a hallelujah. And you're going to give me that? No way. We're studying the Bible tomorrow. Be there at 9. I show up. We study the Bible. And he's like, what do I do to become a Christian? That man became a Christian that day. I laid hands on him, too. And then the next day, I thought, man, i got to get some swimming trunks for this guy. I can't take him out to the hot tub out there in the front with everybody around or without him. <sighs> so we go the next day, and we're, we're sitting. It was a really small hot tub, and we're eye to eye, my dad and I. I said, Dad, I want to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're going to surrender yourself. I'm going to take you down in the water. And when I bring you up, man, you are going to be a new creation in Christ. After the fact, Dad's standing at his door at the assisted living facility. That was the last time I saw him alive in this life. But there he stood in his white robe. Raise a hallelujah, guys. He made a choice for life. Will you make a choice for life? It's time to slip out of the grave clothes, man. we got to come out of the grave. Let's roll that stone away. Let's believe God's word. Jeremiah, and I'm closing on this one, says, Jeremiah 23, 29 says, and this is God speaking, he says, My words are a powerful fire. They're like a hammer that shatters stone. You bring it to the fire, man. you got something in your life that needs to be burned up. Bring it to the fire, man. You got thinking in there that needs to be done with, dealt with? Get the stone open, man. Don't let it roll back in that trolley. Bring it to the hammer. Let it shatter that rock. We got to shatter that rock of negative thinking and wondering if his word's true. His word is true. Are we going to take some of it or are we going to take all of it? Are we going to recalibrate it? Let's recalibrate it, man. Bring it to the freaking hammer and come out of that grave, man. Let's adjust our thinking. Let's calibrate to the truth. Let's set our minds on the truth. Let's incinerate those stinking death coils. And let's, in the, in the end here, let's change our thinking from death mindset to life, black and white. Let's have thoughts like this. Ephesians, we, we read this a little bit ago. Ephesians 2, I believe, verses 4 through 6. I'll just summarize. It said, God made you alive. You were dead in your trespasses, verse 1, but God made you alive together in Christ. You believe that? Yes. Hallelujah. And this one, one closing thought. Because he made you alive, he gave you a new address. Did you catch that? You were dead. But God made you alive together with Christ. And he has raised us up, verse 6, and seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly places in Christ. Do you believe that? Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But I believe it. Okay, we're going to close here. Why don't you guys, I think you just need to stand with me right now as we make a call right now. Are you a Christian? If not, and you haven't yet surrendered to Christ, he's calling you to do so. He calls you by his name. He wants to adopt you in his family. He wants to take you out of captivity and imprisonment 
and bring you into life. Perhaps you feel imprisoned through life circumstances. He's calling you from that to a life in him. What grave holds you down? Jesus raised Lazarus. He wants to raise you too if you have not yet been risen with him. He took death head on and annihilated our appointment with hell. Hallelujah. His sacrifice flipped the switch for us, the switch from death to life. It's black and white. Will you believe it? Will you allow him to raise you to life? Bring it to the stone. He'll shatter it. And this is for those of you who are Christians. I'm glad you're a Christian. You believed his word. You obeyed it, right? Has something happened between then and now that would keep you from believing all of it? Maybe you're just trying to hang on and there's stuff you just don't get or you just can't quite get and keep your hands around it. Well, first thought is get rid of the death mindset. You are alive in him. I don't care what you're thinking right now. He loves you. He died for you. He will continue to lay his life down for you. He is, he's saving you as we speak. Even if we have a death mindset sometimes, I, I know I fall into that, guys. That's why this sermon's for me. But once we get that stone open, man, and we can, get, we can start dealing with those negative thoughts, will you take the stone and, and just, just take it to the hammer and let that word shatter that stone? Will you change your thinking today? That's what this is about. If you've been stuck in a death mindset, guys, I want you to get prayer this morning, man. That's what we're here for. We're the, we're the ones that are going to help roll the stone away, okay? We're going to help get those coils off. We're going to pray into it. And we're going to believe his word because we've recalibrated our mind to the truth. Hallelujah. Yeah. Let's sing. Come on. And you guys come. Let's Ministry team, come on. Let's do something here. Thank you, guys. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives. May God richly bless you in the upcoming year.